Good morning, church. Good to see you all, like my beautiful wife just mentioned. Great to see you all. Great to be here together with you. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We can get you one. If you have your Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we, where we are this morning, and it's where we are continuing through our Forsaken Kingdom series. The title of today's message is Guidelines for Greatness. Have you ever heard of or seen these people who it's their job, it's their career, and they actually make really good money coaching other people on how to be great? Podcasts, books, and it's not... It's not, nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, but, but they're, they're greatness coaches. How can you be great? This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Jesus is going to give some guidelines for being great, and I think that we might be surprised, probably not because it's coming from Jesus, but it's not exactly what you hear on podcasts or on Dr. Phil or whatever else you watch or whatever it is, Dr. Oz. I don't know. I don't watch those things, but anyway, so to open up, I, I made a joke for you guys. Are you ready? This is a Tim original. Okay. Let's read chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So our modern day translation would be something like this. The disciples come up to Jesus and and they say to him, Jesus, who's the goat in heaven? Okay. Goat is an acronym for greatest of all time. Just for those of you who don't know. So, you know, some people say, you're the goat of this or the goat. They say, Jesus, who's the goat in heaven? Jesus' response is, there are no goats in heaven. (laughs) Guys, if you're a sheep, you get to go to heaven. If you're a goat, there's no goats in heaven. And it has a double meaning because not only are there no goats in heaven, but there are no greatest of all times in heaven. And if Jesus can say that, if Jesus can introduce through our text what that looks like and flip what the world says, flip that on the top of its head, he's got a message for us this morning that he wants us to understand. There's no goats in heaven, but we'll see that there's lots of kids. Chapter 18. Thank you. Chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Number one, we have five points we're going to look at this morning. Number one um, was who's the greatest. Number two is Jesus' response is look at the children. Do you remember growing up? I remember going through stages of life as I was growing up. And for me, I don't know why, but I, I've always wanted to get to the next stage before I was there. Do you ever feel like that? It's like I just wanted to hit double digits. 
And then once I hit double digits, 10, then I wanted to be a teenager. I was looking forward to 13. And then once I turned 13, I wanted to drive. So I was looking forward to 16. And then I was looking forward to 18. And, and I look back and I'm like, if, man, I wish I would have enjoyed more. And now I have kids and my kids go through the stages of life. And, and I think to myself, I remember when my kids were smaller, I see a picture and I, and, and I, and I want to say, don't grow up too quickly. Don't, don't move on past this season too quickly. When you were a kid, you thought like a child. There's a humility. There's, there's less, much less of a social hierarchy. Did you, did you notice that with little kids, except for little girls? For some reason, little girls want to be in charge, some little girls. But there's less of a social hierarchy, and, and there's a humility in relationship with other people. With all of the turmoil and craziness going on right now, there, I've seen a lot of uh, little video clips or little memes of just kids just running up and hugging each other on the street, and maybe they know them, maybe they don't, all kinds of different kinds of kids and colors. and So those things that they become later are learned and jesus says if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven then you'll become like a child which what does he specifically identify about children in that verse he says in humility humbling yourself and why did i move so quickly through the stages of my life why did i now i'm trying to slow it down it's because i wanted to be in charge I wanted to grow up. I wanted to have the authority of the 10-year-old, the, the teenager, the, the, the guy with the truck, you know. And, and God says, if you want to be like that, that's the model of the world. That's the direction that they're going. But, but I want you to be the opposite. I want you to be humble of spirit. And he says, whoever receives one little child like me in my name receives me. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And in this time, this day and age, children very literally had no value. So when Jesus is speaking about the children, he's talking to the children, this should, this should get other people's attention. You know, what I like to do, I like to send my kids in the other room. I'm like, go away, give me a break. I've got five kids, I love them all, but sometimes I'm like, just leave me alone. Jesus is like, to the kids, he's like, come on closer to me. There was no rejection. He says, if you receive a little child in my name, You receive me. And then we, we ask ourselves this question, how seriously should we consider Jesus' opinion of children? Well, let's look at the next verse because it's in the text. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses! For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. This is no joke. How many of you have ever heard or thought of 
having a millstone hung around your neck and being thrown into the sea. Probably none of you because it's not only is it a, not a pretty picture, but it's not a pleasant outcome. And Jesus says, for those who, who cause one of these little ones to sin, more specifically, I want to draw your attention to, he's not talking about child abuse, even though that definitely is covered as well. Let me be clear. But he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. This is the issue. The issue is faith in Jesus. And these little kids are coming to him humbly and receiving him as the Messiah. And he says, if one of you comes along and starts to to manipulate or steer them away from me, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. That's how important it is that we teach our kids about Jesus. That we, we get them going in that correct, right direction. And, and they're, they're going to come a point when they start to make their own decisions, but that's the direction that we have them going. And we're not, we're not causing any lack of faith for them towards Jesus. And I've had this question come up recently. Um, I was reading through a book like it was like a book club, if you will, with a, a handful of other men, and we were reading this book together, and, and the question got brought up in the book about the God of the Old Testament, how, how um, God would give the Israelites the, the green light or even the instruction to go into an area and wipe a whole people group out, like wipe a whole tribe out, and men, women, and children. And there's people that, that get really upset about that. How can a God like that? Listen to me. We know history. We know culturally that these people were literally, there's, there's, there's graves full of children's bones because they would murder their children. They would, they would sacrifice their children to foreign gods. And the corruption of society was so bad It wasn't the innocence of the children that was the issue. It was dealing with the absolute corruption of this society. And the blood of those innocent children needed to come to account. You do not touch these precious babies and expect that nothing is going to happen to you. Even now, even if you're not in the faith, even now, if you get convicted and put in jail of some hostility or something against a child, you let those guys in there know about it, you don't want to know what happens to them. Because everybody knows there's an innocence that children have that you do not cross that line. And make no mistake, people are talking about, you know, Judgment this and judgment that. The whole world is guilty of this abomination of taking the life of children. And I'm just going to leave that there. But Jesus, for the record, loves the little children. And he received them. And he receives them. And we have to look at this through a different lens. We have to look at this through the lens of how can we bless and encourage those children who are around us in their faith in Jesus Christ? How can we lead them to him? Now, notice this section in 18, and it really goes through the whole chapter, but this whole section is about kids over and over again. Verse 8, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. 
It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. You guys have heard it before, you know, the devil made me do it. Or whatever reason that we can come up with to put the blame off of us. Jesus says, if there's something that's causing you to cause somebody else to sin, first of all, this is for, for that person, right? But the direct context is, if, if this is causing you to sin, that's bad. But if this is causing you to sin and, and others to sin, you need to address the issue very seriously. I would be stupid to think that as a father of my five kids, that what I didn't input into my life through what I watched, what I listened to, the things that I read, I would be stupid if I didn't think that those things would not influence me to influence also my children to some degree. Maybe not completely, totally, but they see it. Kids are not stupid. And, and, and you hear a, a conversation or, or uh, my, 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 one of my babies says something, where did you hear that? I can't believe you said that. Mommy said it. Oh, have another talk with your mother. <laughs> the first service I said, you said it, Daddy, but, you know, to keep things balanced. <laughs> we were watching you in our age of innocence. Isn't that a song? I can't remember who sang it, but I used to listen to it when I was young. I'm like, I'm in my age of innocence. This is the age of the innocence. And then as we grow up, we learn. We lose that innocence to some degree. And Jesus says, there's going to be lots of offenses. There must come offenses in this world. But woe to that one whom it comes through. Are any, are any of you offended? And I'm just frustrated, if I can be honest with you. You know, with all the stuff going on right now, people are, it's like it's a competition now. How can I offend people? I ha I've had to talk to a couple of people that, that are my friends and say, you know what, like, forgive the language, sorry, but you know what? You just need to shut up. Just stop talking. Take a break because you think you've got this voice and you're just making yourself look really ignorant. And on top of it, you are supposed to be a representative of, of Jesus Christ. So just please put a cork in it. Because it's not important. It's not as important as you think it is. But offenses now are abounding. And the way that we can respond to the offenses, first of all, is, you know what I practice sometimes? I practice not getting offended. Yeah. My wife, you know, she, I tell this story often in early days in our marriage, I would get frustrated or upset with somebody and I'd say, that person, this person, they cut me off. And she's like, maybe they're late, sweetie. Maybe, you know, maybe this, maybe that. I'm like, would you just stop trying to stop me from being upset right now? They're wrong. They did this. They offended me. 
I just practice like, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe there's another reason, you know. Maybe they're having a bad day. That service was terrible. I'm not tipping that server or anything. Well, you know what? Everybody has bad days. I had actually two friends that were servers here in town, hospitality industry in Vegas, right down on the strip. And we were out eating and we, it was bad service. And I said, man, what service is terrible. And they both said, hey, listen, hold on, buddy. We don't know what's going on, you know, so, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do 18%. They said 20 is the least, first of all. Second of all, we're tipping 25. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, whenever we get bad service, we tip them more because we don't know what they're going through. Why can't we have that kind of perspective from time to time? Why can't we try to more identify with each other's weaknesses like Jesus did for us? He identified. He met us right where we were, right where we were at, right where we are. And then I tell you the story of my buddy. In fact, I told this story a couple months ago, and um, and I was and I was doing something, and my phone rang, and I looked at it, and it was him. And I used him as the illustration in a sermon a, a few months ago, and I was like, "Oh man, I wonder if you watched online or something," because he said he watches online sometimes. So I answered, and we were talking, and he didn't say anything about it. And I was like, hey, I want to thank you. I want to genuinely thank you. Years ago, we were having a conversation, and well, I'll tell you the story first. But I thanked him. So I'm with my friend, right? And we're having a conversation, and his phone rings. And out of his pocket, he pulls this flip phone. And he opens it, and he answers the call, and like my flip phone. And he answers the call, and when he got off, I was like, Dude, what is wrong with you, bro? Like, for real? You're still using a flip phone? You need to borrow some cash out here? They'll give you one for like a penny down if you sign a contract at T-Mobile or whatever. He's like, no, I broke my smartphone. I'm like, go get another dumb phone. Or, you know, he said, you know, my, my smartphone was making me dumb. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, I just, I, I tried as hard as I could. I tried, but I could not stop looking at pornography on my smartphone. I just, it's somehow, I just always, I'd have good, you know, good times and bad times, and then I would just go back and look, and then one day, I was, I was on my phone, and, and I just almost, just naturally just went somewhere I shouldn't go, and I, and I took it, and I threw it against the wall and smashed it into a million pieces, and now I have this phone because I can't go on the internet, and I can't go places where I'm not supposed to go. And I said, thank you for telling me that story because if it takes you cutting off your right hand, something that's more convenient, something that's easy, something that everybody else is doing or that everybody else has or the liberties other people can exercise without sinning, we have to take that seriously. But you know what the issue is, the real issue, right? And I've used this before for this portion of Scripture. You know how Jesus how we know Jesus didn't mean literally cutting your hand off where he was cutting off something else to prohibit from sin is because if I cut my right hand off, I would very quickly, or my right arm, I would very quickly start to uh, become left-handed, if you know what I mean. And I would start sinning with my left hand, however long it took. And then I would cut that off. And then I, you know, have you seen those people that paint with their toes? Very talented. Right leg's gone. Left leg's gone. And there I am, just a, you know, a, just a torso, and, and screaming, somebody please stab me in the head because this is where it starts. 
It starts here and then it goes down here and it manifests here and then the action is, is taken out here, done by these things, and pluck my eyes out and chop my tongue off. Because the issue is a sin issue of the heart and that's what needs to be addressed. But the big picture here again is don't cause any stumbling for these precious little children. Speaking of which, they're precious to me, so don't worry about it, John. Verse 10, continuing on children. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven my angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I love this verse because this verse is a supporting verse for the idea that Children have guardian angels. Do you guys like the idea of guardian angels? But I would like to take this to the next step, the next level. This verse doesn't say that children have, have a guardian angel. It says that they have guardian angels, that the angels are looking over them, which is a really precious, precious picture of how much God loves children. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God cares for the children. So especially and more specifically, what we're really talking about here, connected to Jesus and causing somebody to stumble, a little child to stumble who believes in Jesus, especially for the eternal sense of life, not the temporal. And we understand that as believers, we're already living in eternity. We still have the the linear time-space continuum, but, but we should already be engaged in the fact that we've been redeemed, and that's the position that we're standing in, and, and it, is, it is for life to life. And God wants children to know who he is. Jesus reveals himself to the children Then the conversation progresses, and we move from children to brothers. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, this is what this chapter, Matthew 18, is really known for, is this church discipline, if you will, section. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. For if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now this section, I, I find it interesting. Uh, you, you ever notice how people are so much more willing to go talk to somebody else about their brother's sin than going to their brother? 
It's like, uh, I heard this illustration once, that when Christians all get together, it's like a big pile of manure. But when they're spread out, you know, it was a missions conference, when they're spread out, then little flowers can pop up. Oh, that's a nice little picture. But sometimes, you know, with the backbiting and the talking about each other, and it's like, nobody will just go have a conversation because nobody wants to be offended, you know? Nobody wants to communicate. It's hard, I, I agree to go up to somebody and, and have a conversation about a, a, a difficulty. But more specifically, this verse is talking about a sin issue. But that's the first step. So if you have something against your brother, go talk to that person. Um, I, I don't have it happen too frequently, but from time to time I'll have somebody come to me and say, Pastor Tim, I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah. They're like, so-and-so is doing such and such. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, you should go talk to them about it and let them know that it's sin and they can't do it. And I say, I've got a better idea. Why don't you go talk to them about it and tell them that it's a sin issue and that they should stop doing it? Once you take that first step in Jesus' instruction, on how to overcome this sin issue with adversity between a brother. Once you take that first step, now it's open, right? You're having a conversation with somebody. There is a chance for repentance. But if that person is so hardened in their sin, do you know that there a, hardening, a hardening happens when you, when you live in sin for too long? A hardening happens, and then they won't receive it. So then Jesus says, go get two or three brothers, not people, two or three brothers or sisters, and then and then come back and address it again. Have you ever had a meeting with somebody that was in sin with two or three other brothers and sisters talking to them? Probably not. It doesn't really happen. It's quite awkward. I've said before, and I don't, you know, I, I want to be careful with making statements like this, but I've said before, I'll never kick anybody out of the church. We had this instance where this there was this person um, that I wanted to stick to that conviction. It's, it's Jesus' job to influence towards repentance. I, I don't, I'm not the last saying anything. He is the ultimate influencer, okay? And there is this person who was in sin, and there is people that were talking about it, and people coming to me, and I instructed, you know, go talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, and they went and talked to them one-on-one, -on -one, and the sin continued, and then, and then there was multiple people involved, and multiple people had talked to them, and I said, okay, it's time for you to call a meeting, guys. Call a meeting and get together, and, and, and then once you get to that step, nobody wants to be sitting in that seat, you know, and, and they did that, and the person was talked to, and, and they continued after, and there was the, you know, the, the normal, I'm trying, the devil makes me do it, yada, yada, whatever, and, and, and then it was the next step to where uh, I hadn't been told directly except by these other people from this person, and, and it wasn't my place yet, so, but now it is. Now it's the next step, and, and I approached the person. I said, hey, listen, you know I love you, um, but, but we've had people talk to you individually. We've, we've had meetings with you, you know, talking to you about these things. This isn't like, this isn't something, I can't give you any details, but this isn't something that, that is no big deal. This was something that they were giving themselves over to that was really bad. And it was a sin issue that a little leaven leavens the whole lump that had to be addressed. So I said, listen, you know, we're going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to let the church know about this, like what's going on. That's what Jesus told us to do. And you know what happened? 
out the door. I'll go find another church. I didn't have to kick them out. I didn't want to kick them out. But like when it came down to it, if like we're, if we're seriously impacted by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then we don't want sin to rule and reign in our lives. And, and it, sometimes it, and it se- may seem extreme, but it has to be addressed. But I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be the judge. You get out of here. You're not welcome here. What do you think? You can do whatever you want. No, let the Holy Spirit influence. And hopefully, like Paul said, this is Paul's words. I hand that person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You didn't know Paul was Southern, did you? And then maybe getting his body destroyed will make him come back to know the Lord. That's a paraphrase as well. But the idea is, you know, like, hey, if people are going to live and do the things that they want to do, there has to be a release, but there's going to be an account for them. And then this verse, one of my, you know, it's not that big of a deal at all. Um, but verses, misquoted verses, and this is one of them. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but it's like, okay, contextually, what's it really saying? Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And I, you know, hear people say like, there's two or three of us. So Je-. No, G- you can be alone and be with Jesus. <laughs> You can be alone. This specifically, contextually, what, what is this talking about? It's talking about church discipline. It's talking about being in agreement that, that we, there's two or three of us, we're giving this to the Lord, we're, we're petitioning God in prayer for him to be the judge of this situation, not us. That's what it has to come back to. Because it's easy to make decisions against other people, don't you think? Oh, Yeah this or that, you're, you're not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do this to you. Verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Peter had brothers. You know, how many times do I have to, like my kid, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Mom, dad, Ah, seven's enough. After that, you're good. You can do whatever you want. There's no, there's no, there's no amount. And now Jesus is making you do math so you know it's getting serious. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not have patience, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, 
they were very grieved and came and told their master all that, they, that he had done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus' guidelines for greatness takes what the world says and flips it on its head. The world says you're justified in your anger. And if uh, you've heard this phrase before, you don't know what they've done to me. And I hate it when I hear that phrase. Because there could be anything going on in your head. You don't know what they've done. You know what? Do you know what you've done against God? It's by grace. Uh, it's by grace I've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. By the grace of God, God is so good. Oh, that person. That person crossed the line. That person did too much. There's no coming back from that. Oh, man. I mean, be careful because you are forgiven much. And one of the guidelines to greatness in the kingdom of heaven is forgiveness. And if you can exercise, receive, and live in a state of forgiveness, then you have to live in that state of forgiveness towards others also. My brother and I had a difficult relationship when we were younger. And if it wasn't for the Lord, if it wasn't for my faith, I don't know if we would even be talking today. We just didn't get along, don't, you know. But now I long to have a relationship with my brother. We had a long conversation one time about misconceptions and things that happened when we were younger and and, and we were able to clear a lot of stuff up, that stuff that was just a conversation. Like, I never meant that towards you. I'm sorry that you felt that way. And then what happens is you cultivate relationships through forgiveness, and then you get to experience what abundant life is like. Because there's no more bitterness. There's no more of that hatred that heart of stone that God says he wants to remove and replace with a heart of flesh that feels. Here's our five things together now, wrapping up. Number one, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Not me. It is Jesus, the correct uh, Sunday school answer is Jesus, but, the, but the, the, the true answer for this morning is it's not me. Consider others more or higher than yourself. Humility. Number two, become like children. And if, if you don't have kids or never had kids, think of how you were when you were a kid. Think of your ages of innocence. Think of your seasons of innocence. How you perceived certain people. How you perceived certain things before you had to get exposed to this baloney of a world that we have to live in for now. Number three, don't stumble children regarding who Jesus said he was to them. And if you start to get close to whatever you're doing towards a child will make them question their faith in Jesus Christ, be careful. 
because Jesus takes this very seriously. It's about abundant life and eternal life. Number four, God values children greatly. I'd like to pause and take a moment to say that we're when we start gathering together, we need volunteers, volunteers and kids ministry. Just to let you guys know that. Number four, God values children greatly. Nobody else got that. It was a dry humor, but sometimes we can use extra helpers. And then number five, sin and forgiveness. See, each one of these things, if you put it in a worldly context, is going to look very differently. Jesus flips it upside down. And it's not works or things that we're doing. It's what our citizenship, citizenship looks like. And remember, there's no goats in heaven. I'll close on that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and your faithfulness to speak to us, your faithfulness to meet us, and your love for the children. Thank you, God, for the children that you've placed in our lives, around us, that we've had, that we've been able to minister to, grandchildren. Lord, give us a different perspective this morning of how we can continue to pour into their lives for their eternal good, for their eternal benefit. They humbly accept and receive the truth of your Messiahship and experience life because of it. Bless your church, Father, this week we pray. Lord, we pray for, for the, the people who are hurting, the people who have lost loved ones, the people who are affected by this senseless violence across our country right now. We pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would bring a revival, that it would stop, and that the daylight would shine. I can't imagine what it would look like if the salt and the light was removed from the world right now. Allow us to be your representatives. We want to intercede for an opportunity that though it may seem so very dark, an opportunity for your gospel to go out and be proclaimed across this state, across this nation, across the entire world. We can see an outpouring of your love. We ask these things, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen.